Hi, I'm Justin Zyduck. And I'm Zach Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a look at some allegedly terrible comics and comics-related media. My brother Zach is sitting in again for regular co-host Ryan McClure, currently on temporary hiatus. Uh, last month, Zach took advantage of my needing a co-host to force me to watch Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which I had purposefully abstained from seeing for the past four years. Uh, check out those episodes if, if you'd like our take on it, but spoiler alert, I really hated it. Uh, so I've decided to get Zach back and make him watch the unreleased 1994 film version of The Fantastic Four, uh, directed by Oli Sasson, who's worked in music videos and television direction mostly, um, and starring Alex Hyde-White as Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, uh, Rebecca Stab as Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman, Jay Underwood as Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, Michael Bailey Smith as Ben Grimm, and Carl Chiafarlo as his alter ego as The Thing, and Joseph Culp as Dr. Doom. There is a nice documentary released in 2015 called Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four, that goes into the history of this film at greater length, but I will try to supply what you need to know for our purposes uh, today. So, Zach, do you know how optioning works in the movies? Not really. Neither do I, so I looked it up. <laughs> uh, so if, if we get anything wrong, I'm just we're just dumb Wisconsin kids. We don't know anything. Um, <laughs> but I've read a bit about it. So my understanding is this. If you're a producer and you want to make a movie based on an existing property, say the Fantastic Four, you option the property, which grants you the exclusive rights to produce a movie about the Fantastic Four so long as you hold that option. Uh, the thing is that options expire... So if you hold on to a property for X number of years without making the movie, uh, the rights revert back to the original owners of the property, in this case Marvel, which would allow them to take the Fantastic Four property to other producers. So the key is here, if you want to keep your option alive and like hold on to the rights, you have to produce something to show that you're actively working to produce films. Um, I assume there is some sort of basic level of competency. Like I don't think you could release like a 10-minute... like. Mr. Fantastic goes to a deli and have that count. But so, yeah, it doesn't have to, I mean, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money clearly, and it doesn't have to be very good. <laughs> the, uh, the option holders went to legendary producer, Roger Corman, King of the B movies known for making him fast and cheap and said, you know, can you make us an independent film version of the Fantastic Four for $1 million? And this was, you know, early nineties dollars, but still a million dollars did not get you that far. And Roger Corman said yes. So although the uh, circumstances surrounding the production and sort of genesis of the movie are pretty cynical, the key thing to keep in mind with this movie is that by all accounts, the cast and crew actually making the film did everything with the best of intentions. Stan Lee actually has said like, oh, you know, they made that movie never intending to show it, but like they were trying to make a good movie. Uh, I'm sure that the low budget was pretty obvious to everybody. I mean, nobody was probably fooled into thinking that they were going to make, you know, a hundred million dollars on this. But, you know, like people do sign up to like work for Roger Corman and like, that's a stepping stone. This is going to be something that you could have on your resume and you can put it on your reel. So, um, they were all working together to make a decent independent film version of the fantastic four. It would be in theaters, uh, for a bit. Uh, it could be in video, um, play at conventions. So the production is sort of legendary for having this sort of energy like, you know, gee, fellas, why don't we just put on the play in Dad's barn and invite the whole town? 
Uh, the costume designers went to a comic book shop and told fans they were buying actual comics for reference to faithfully reproduce the look. Uh, the actors hired their own publicists, I think. Um, everybody was really like, let's, you know, let's all pull together and make this happen. So, yeah, they certainly didn't think that, like, nobody would ever see this. They planned to get a premiere at the Mall of America. Um, there were, you know, TV spots they worked up. There were uh, spots on Roger Corman VHS tapes that were trailers for this movie. They were excited to do promotions. Uh, they did interviews in magazines. So, like, this was, like, everybody was planning on, like, this will come out in some form. Uh, so why was this buried? Um, it seems that Avi Arad, who was in charge of film and TV at Marvel at the time, uh, finally found out that the movie existed. There's a story that, like, he was on vacation and some kid had, like, a Fantastic Four movie t-shirt, and he's like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, you know, I don't want this cheapy knockoff. You know, I can see what you did here. It is an actual movie, but I don't want this cheapy knockoff version of one of our major flagship properties out there. Uh, we, what we today would call damaging the brand. They wanted to make the $100 million blockbuster Hollywood version one of these days and thought it would hurt the deal if you could watch this movie playing on Saturday afternoons at your local independent TV station. And, like, he's not being a jerk exactly because it does seem to sort of seem how Hollywood works because, like, how many times have they, they've been trying to make a new, like, Masters of the Universe movie and halfway through the deal probably someone in the back is like, yeah, I saw that movie. Courtney Cox is in it, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren, yeah, he was He-Man. <laughs> so I will, I will say, though, that the Masters of the Universe movie uh, does look a lot better than this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> than this movie. Uh, so Avi Rad and Marvel bought it up. Uh, they may not have ever even watched it other than maybe a couple of minutes, but who knows. Um, and they ordered it. All copies destroyed. But we're watching it today uh, because obviously you make a comic book movie and somebody's going to boot like that. So if you'll indulge me, Zach, uh, some time travel to the comic convention circuit of the late 90s and early 2000s, peak of my comic fandom, going to see Kevin Smith talk about his exciting new Dogma project. Uh, this was one of the staples of like the bootleg VHS market. You go to a convention and there'd be like a dealer with just a huge box of videos a lot of it, like, tons and tons of anime that wasn't available in the U.S. or whatever. Um, and you'd have stuff like the 90s Justice League of America pilot with the voice of the Crypt Keeper as the Atom. You'd have the uh, Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man TV show. Uh, I remember seeing Legends of the Superheroes a lot, which was part Adam West Batman reunion and part Variety Show from 1979. Um, and... Every, you know, dealer pretty much had a copy of this legendary, unreleased Roger Corman-produced Fantastic Four movie. You still have bootleg dealers at cons today, or if they were having cons today, you would still have yeah. bootleg dealers. Uh, but the internet sort of cut into that business. Um, back then, you couldn't look, just look this stuff up on YouTube if you wanted to watch this Fantastic Four movie. That was it. You had to find a dealer and give him $20, <laughs> maybe in cash, preferably, uh, sometimes, sometimes like I would, you know, so I would buy these things, right? And they would warn me, like they were, they were trying to sell me stuff, and they still warned me, "Hey, just so you know, I know you're a kid. This isn't like very good, but just like the older fans buying this thing, I knew it wasn't going to be good, but I just had to see it and pay twenty dollars for it anyway." Um, that's how hard up we were for superhero movies in these in those uh, olden days. 
It kind of feels like a, a drug dealer, like feeling sorry about selling them to like kids or something. Like, you're not going to like this. Like, just, <laughs> right. but I am going to sell it to you anyways. Yeah, it's the guy selling the skunk weed. And it's like, oh man, I feel yeah. bad about this. <laughs> but yeah, don't do drugs, kids. Uh, my son is right over there. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's get into it. So, um, first of all, the version that I watched, you can probably guess the source, uh, actually incorporates the sort of uh, modern flipping pages Marvel opening that like actual Marvel movies have now, um, which is cute. Nice touch. So this wasn't just a VHS rip. Uh, did your, your version have that as well? I think we probably watched the same. Yeah, we watched the same one. The same, whatever, wherever that place was, <laughs> where they have <laughs> bootleg movies. Um, so following that we get a long title sequence featuring pictures of space over a big sweeping orchestral score what do you I, this is actually a pretty decent adventure movie score by David and Eric Wurst they actually spent six thousand dollars of their own money to pay for a 40 piece or 48 piece orchestra to record this so they gave it their what do you what did what did you think of the music we'll probably talk about some specific uh, cues later yeah it's funny I actually like before you mentioning that I did kind of have that in my head about how the music was actually like pretty decent and like there was like love themes and yeah they they, they overused a lot of songs like over and over again but like they were good yeah and then that's and probably because like they were super up against you know deadlines oh, yeah. and stuff and it's just like well we recorded an entire 48 piece orchestra doing this we can just use it three times right yeah just loop it get your money's worth <laughs> So the movie proper opens with a college professor talking about the speed of light, which he writes on the chalkboard as 186,282 miles per second. I actually have this fact memorized specifically because of this movie. A lot of people know the 186,000 miles per second, but I take it all the way to 282. Uh, That is true, (laughs) sadly. Uh, so he's uh, stumbling over, stumbling over what the metric conversion to that is, and one of his students fills it in, and that's R. Reed Richards. You can tell that he's smart because he can do metric conversions in his head. Uh, the professor talks about light speed as kind of a vague segue to talking about some sort of orbital stellar phenomenon called Colossus, which is a radioactive comet-like energy source that periodically passes close to Earth. Um, this is all just taken as... <laughs> Accept it. Um, it's actually going to pass over their area or wherever that night. And then he dismisses class. So was this like a three-minute class where he's like, we're going to talk about the speed of light. I'm going to use this transition to something that doesn't really apply about this energy comet thing. And then I'm so excited to see it. I'm just going <laughs> to let everybody out. Or like, is this the end of like a longer class? And he like he just started talking about light speed various reasons. I mean, like, a lot of movies have that problem of, like, even, like, a good movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Any class in that, it's like, well, how did you actually get to that point in class where it's like you're just starting the lesson at the end? Mm-hmm. Well, I just thought it was funny that the professor is just, like, so over the top, like, like the actor was like, okay, what do I think a professor is? And then that's what he thought a professor was. Yeah, that's, like, 
if you if you've never been to college but you've seen a lot of movies about college yeah it, it's exactly. it's it's homer it's homer goes to college basically what you think <laughs> like, mixed in some like mad scientist in there and stuff too yeah he's basically the guy from the she blinded me with science video <laughs> yeah uh so then victor who may or may not be called victor von doom will sort of question that later and ben grimmer in this class as well reed and victor are working on some sort of project together but they have a disagreement about orbital vectors and figures and you know just like techno babble stuff that is perfectly fine in a movie that two science people are arguing about the precise calculations uh, as they leave class two mysterious dark-haired dudes are spying on them they're sort of treated as comical figures in this movie they're like they end up being like doom's henchmen and they're from that varia um and the music that plays is sort of a cross between john williams's lex luthor theme from superman and john williams's jawa theme from star wars but it's cl- played by like a klezmer band or something like it's a eastern european like thing with a with a clarinet um you hear that a lot in this movie so a lot get ready for it uh, we cut to Mrs. Storm's boarding house, where Reed and Ben presumably live while they go to college. Uh, ben is friendly with Johnny Storm, who's a little kid. They play video games together. Um, the really incredibly fake-looking video game that they play is actually a <laughs> setting is actually foreshadowing the end of the film, but we'll get to that. We also meet Sue Storm, who's a teenage girl. Um, first of all, that's uh, Mercedes McNabb as young Sue, who goes on to play Harmony as on a on Buffy and Angel. But yeah, Sue being a kid is kind of weird. That does actually come from the comics. Um I believe that John Byrne established that circa Fantastic Four 290 or 291 that she was like a little kid and he was like an awkward, you know, college student sort of tugging at his collar. And presumably later they meet up again, but this is just weird. I don't, yeah, I don't like that. No, I, I actually was going to ask you about that. Like, I didn't know if that was like a established thing because I just found it really creepy. So, yeah, I but like of all the stuff to put in your movie, I don't know why you put that in. But it didn't seem like it needed to be a thing at all. It just raises a question like you don't want to raise in the yeah. first five minutes of your movie. <laughs> Um, but leaving aside whatever is going on there, uh, we go to Reed and Victor's lab. They have this kind of crazy contraption built, which they are planning to use to somehow harness the power of Colossus for energy or whatever. Uh, Reed and Victor are still disagreeing about like the calculations, and Reed wants to spend more time running simulations, but there's no time because Colossus is here. There's kind of a weird sort of light show in the sky, uh, people outside are like using telescopes and binoculars to look at it. Uh, Reed and Victor throw, you know, their switches or whatever, and activate the machine, and arcs of electricity shoot up into the sky. Uh, ben sees this and he panics. So I don't know if he knew that this was going to go down, or if he's just like, "This is." Victor probably didn't run the simulations again, <laughs> but he runs to the lab to like, because he he smells trouble, and turns out to be right. Uh, As you can imagine, something goes wrong, probably because Victor has screwed it up. So the machine starts blowing up, and a huge bolt of lightning fries Victor. Ben comes in and sort of, like, tries to rescue everybody, but Victor's in a pretty bad way. 
At the hospital, a doctor tells Reed that Victor is dead, but he's actually one of those mystery klezmer guys <laughs> posing as a doctor. Uh, Reed cries it out on Ben, and the uh, the klezmer dudes take the body. They call him Your Highness, or I guess the movie like Your Your Highness. <laughs> and they say that they must save <laughs> your highness. Uh, and they say that they must save him. End of opening a sequence. So I actually kind of like this opening. What do you th- What do you think? It's succinct, I guess. But like, I, I guess it's interesting to watch a movie before like, move, like comic book movies made a big comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like with X-Men, Spider-Man, all that kind of stuff. But like, they didn't, you know, like in those movies, like the origin part, takes like half hour or something and this one just gets it out of the way in like about 15 minutes yeah it's actually kind of nice (laughs) but it's not really like conducive to like what a comic book movie is like today i guess i mean to be honest like so if i'm if i'm pitching my uh my mcu version of the fantastic four which i can totally do please ask me (laughs) yeah you've done you've done it a lot i know (laughs) i keep asking you never do it uh, every thanksgiving every thanksgiving but um i kind of like the idea of like your cold opening or your cold open being a scene like this of like reed and victor like they're together and then you think that Rick, victor is dead and that sort of like leaves reed with like a guilt complex and then like you know theoretically you wouldn't have doom in your first movie that's a good second movie villain but uh i and like i, I think it works a little better than like in the comics they went to the same school and like they didn't they weren't like colleagues or friends really it was like Reed looking at some of Victor's calculations and I'm like hey I think you gotta carry the decimal here and he's like bah you witness fool get out of my get out of my dorm room <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it, I think it works I think it works for them to have like more of like a closer like relationship like they're sort of uneasy friends but they're like you know they're colleagues and stuff and that adds a certain layer so right off the bat uh, good opening, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, then it's 10 years later, and we're at the Baxter Building in New York City, um, which is represented by a really tight shot of a building, and there's a sign that says <laughs> Baxter Building. Uh, they didn't have money to get a Baxter Building, and who can who can blame them? I actually, like, when I saw that, it was just like a, a banner that just said Baxter <laughs> right. Building on it. I, am, I imagine that if you, like, zoomed out on the shot you'd see two guys holding up the sign <laughs> and then like if you zoomed up further you see like the police guy like coming down the street like trying to be like hey you guys can't film this here <laughs> you can't put that sign up <laughs> so they just like got that shot within like 20 seconds and then we're just like booking it out of there yeah they went they went to the to the the copy shop in town to get the banners made yeah so inside uh they didn't spend a whole lot more money inside either because you can't uh, they have a sort of a swanky pad of futurist furniture, sort of Dr. Evil's lair kind of stuff. Um, and Ben is talking with Reed, and Reed hasn't aged in any way, except that he has like sort of fake-looking, you know, silver temples. Um, apparently Colossus is coming back again on its, you know, 10-year arc or whatever on the planet, and Reed has built a rocket to go up after it. He convinces Ben to fly it, and they decide, and then he, he agrees, and then they need a crew. So, like you do, you go to Mrs. Storm's boarding house to pick up uh, these kids that you knew when you were in college, <laughs> I guess. Uh, they don't do a really great job of like explaining what their relationship is at this point. 
they sort of go back and forth about whether it's a good idea to take Johnny and Sue along. But once Reed sees Sue, and now she's she's legal, <laughs> <laughs> she's an adult, and he's like, "Oh yeah, we uh, we have to we have to take them." And Mrs. Sorum says, "Look at you, the Fantastic Four. This is not the best scene, maybe, but every well, usually like a superhero movie does that, like at the end of the movie where they finally like name." them or something and it kind of got it out of the way early again yeah it kind of works as an origin for the name because like fantastic four is not some, it's something like that your mom would call you and your friends and you'd be like mom you're not you're not part of this <laughs> <laughs> but um they all seem they all seem really pleased about it though. yeah they're like yeah <laughs> there's four of us we're fantastic it's alliterative <laughs> So, like, every origin for the Fantastic Four has to sort of contrive an explanation for why you take your girlfriend and her younger brother along. Um, sometimes they're fellow scientists, or, like, some of them will have extra, you know, they'll have other skills that are transferable to space travel. Uh, this one just has Ben say, like, they know more about this project than anyone else on Earth. Which, like, even so, like, I guess, like, if I'm crewing a rocket ship, and I have my choice between, like, an astronaut and an astronaut's boyfriend or girlfriend who hears a lot about the this, what it's like to be an astronaut. By osmosis. I still probably go for the astronaut just because yeah. applied. But um, they, do sort of, I, they do sort of lean into the skid by having uh, Ben show up and be like, Hi, Mrs. Storm. Can Johnny and Susan go into outer space with us? So they are sort of acknowledging <laughs> that, like, you know, Reed just wants to bring his friends along. Like a Sunday drive, mm-hmm. I guess, and that—that's actually how I prefer to think of it. Is that like Reed is just like, well, look, I built a spaceship. Like, you know what? You know how good this, how easy to fly the spaceship is. Like, I'm taking Johnny along. Like, <laughs> he'll be fine. Like, that's how that's how amazing the spaceship <laughs> is. But yeah, so one of the, I sort of mentioned this earlier, but like, I'm not really sure what Reed and Sue's relationship is here because, like, when he sees her coming down the stairs, he sort of looks at her like. I haven't seen you in a while, you know, but then yeah. how, but then if I haven't seen you in a while, you probably don't know all the ins and outs of my secret space shuttle program. Well, two things, I guess. First of all, like when they go to that house, we don't know that they've been there or haven't been there in a while, but when they like ask their mom <laughs> to, to like, if they can go to space, she seems not very nonplussed about it just for like oh yeah okay sure you have to ask them it's like well if, if they did, if these two guys who kind of like crashed at your place for a couple <laughs> years in college came back and were like hey what can i take your kids to space like i think they might be like hold on and then like you call you, you boys still smoke somebody for help <laughs> right yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe you just thought they were being sarcastic, and then, like, she sees it on the news that they're in the space shuttle, and she's like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, and then, yeah, that was the other question I had, too. I guess that's why I, I assumed that they hadn't seen them in a while, was that Reed just kind of, like, it, it was, like, the the prom scene in, like, teen movies where yeah. the girl walks down the stairs, and, like, he's just completely taken aback by her, and it's seems like yeah exactly like if they spent 10 years like away from them all of a sudden they're just like they just show up at their house one day and say like remember that thing we talked about 10 years ago you still know everything about that right john you were like eight or you yeah, remember already... that video game we were playing <laughs> it's the same basic principle 
Yeah. Yeah, so it's not really clear exactly. And like, Reed and Sue's relationship, and we'll talk about this throughout the movie as it quote-unquote develops. But <laughs> it's not really clear, like, what their relationship is. Like, they obviously have a thing going on, but, like, who knows? So anyway, it's, uh, getting back to the movie, it's just about launch day. Uh, the Klezmer goons are there spying for a mysterious master about some sort of diamond that's being unloaded from an armored car. Uh, the mysterious master is Dr. Doom. I'm not going to spoil it for you. <laughs> um, I'm going to spoil that because you could figure that out. Uh, there's also a strange little man who comes out from the sewer and also says that he's going to go after the diamond. More on this guy later because he <laughs> he's a whole conversation. Yeah. Uh, inside the building, Ben accidentally bumps into a woman and breaks her sculpture. This is, <laughs> remember this, because this is, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the movie is hinging on this. Uh, this is Alicia Masters, who is Ben's love interest, now wife in the comics, and she is a blind sculptress. Uh, it's love at first face feel. Because, hmm. uh, like in every, you know, which I'm sure it does not happen in real life. It's like, oh, hey, I just met you. I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just going to touch your face. And this will give me a sense. And she's like, he's like, oh, I'm sorry I broke your statue. And she's like, yes, I can sense it. Because that is sort of how she's portrayed in the comics where she's like, she's blind. So she's very sensitive and attuned to emotions. So. Um, yeah, I mean, look at Daredevil. He... <laughs> right. But it's like, what if, what if Daredevil like was really like empathic, I guess. <laughs> The radioactive isotope like really like made him see into people's souls. It's Daredevil mixed with Mantis. Right. So yeah, so this is the sum total of their interaction. Just want you to remember that. Cause, <laughs> uh, so upstairs, they see this diamond that everybody's so head up about. It's enormous and fake looking. It's not even like a cool looking diamond, like the Pink Panther diamond or something that's large and fake. It's like a big, lumpy mass of stuff. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to do something techno technobabbly, like stabilize the energies and refract the heat so the laser drive engine doesn't overload. Uh, Reed is sad that Victor's not there with them, but maybe if they're able to harness Colossus's energies, he won't have died in vain. Yeah, and then meanwhile at Alicia's apartment, she's building a face of the guy she just met and who broke her sculpture but that she's immediately in love with. Yeah. But someone is unfortunately already in love with her, spying on her at that very moment. This is the jeweler. So let's talk about him. He's short. He's got kind of like gnomish prosthetics on his face. He's got a funny little voice. Um, he's short. I don't, he's sort of Gwildor from Masters of the Universe, you know, that kind of. It's actually exactly what I thought when I was watching this. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a certain like late '80s, early '90s like fantasy gnome elf kind of thing. Um, I've never seen Willow, but it's probably in there too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I I have to imagine that this started out in like an early version of a script or a pitch or whatever as like that's the mole man, like he's an underground dweller. You know, he's... okay. So so like here's the thing about that. I I went into this thinking that that was Mole Man. 
um or i didn't go into this but like when i saw that guy spying on her i thought that that's what he was supposed to be oh yeah i mean that's logical assumption so i was like expecting that and then i mean we'll obviously get into it more and we're talking about the rest of the movie but like it, it seemed like that had no bearing on the story <laughs> at all like not it really didn't matter in the end like well it just padded out like an extra 20 minutes of the movie yeah and plus like do you think it's sort of the mole man so you think like maybe he's gonna have some like cool minions or like monsters and it's it's not <laughs> <laughs> it's homeless people with guns yeah it's uh jeweler's not hiring the best yeah uh, so his plan is that he wants to steal the giant diamond as a gift for alicia who he's in love with um i guess the idea is that like alicia's blind and won't see that he's uh looks like he's covered in prosthetics and looks like, he looks like Bildor. um <laughs> he breaks into the baxter building um there's like a laser security grid around the diamond and he does sort of a goofy little dance to you know step over there um he swaps the big fake looking diamond that is supposed to be real for a big fake looking diamond that is supposed to be fake uh doom's goons are still spying and now it turns out that oh hey we don't need to steal the diamond because uh this dude's done it anyway and dr doom laughs this is like so this is the first time that we got dr doom laughing in the movie and uh i think it's something that works better on the page maybe because like it's pretty much just it's joseph culp who's you know he's he's you know he's giving it his all he's not afraid to go big but he's just sort of going Ha 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 ha! Like the drop of a hat, and like I mean that is it's hard. I mean that's not a real. I don't. I assume they don't teach you how to do like a crazy laugh in acting school, or you know, that's not a realistic emotion. But like, I kept thinking like, like it's e- it's easier for the Joker to do it because the Joker's supposed to be like unstable or whatever. Um. A good example of like a sane person doing a good evil laugh is Kelsey Grammer when he's sideshow Bob, because he'll he'll sort of work up to it, you know, like he'll go sort of like a it starts out as like a private chuckle to himself, like, <laughs> and you know it builds and stuff yeah. into a thing, whereas like Doctor Doom here just starts already at ten, like ha 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 ha. ha. <laughs> <laughs> I was also kind of hoping we were going to do the full sideshow by laugh. <laughs> I, it to demonstrate. Seems, it seems self-indulgent, but yeah, I I got that in my back pocket. <laughs> well, it's like in the Batman v Superman thing. I pulled out my my foley <laughs> art skills. Do the, do the, do Wonder Woman's bracelets again for me one more time. That's wonderful. I know. Uh, thank you for your contributions to this podcast. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> so let's let's uh, unpack what's going on here with the diamond. So they were both going to steal the diamond, which is kind of weird. But it, <laughs> it's sort of, you know, like it's a huge diamond. I guess people are going to notice that. It's weird that the jeweler has an identical diamond <laughs> that's not real, but is looks exactly the same. And he could probably just give her that because she's blind. I don't want to say that like blind people don't appreciate nice things, but I'm saying that like if you want a gift for a blind person, a object that you know, like it doesn't even feel good. 
you know <laughs> you know like that is like a weird it was like a weird sort of misshapen lump it's not like a nice <laughs> diamond you know like this is I'm, I'm probably being very insensitive i apologize to everyone but but you know like it's uh, is it is that what you are going to use to impress a person who can't see like there are other things you could think of you know honestly until you just brought it up at this very moment i didn't think of that <laughs> at all i mean it's just a value thing you know well the only thing i couldn't get past was so if both the jeweler and doom wanted to steal the diamond but the jeweler was going to replace the diamond what was doom's plan was he just going to steal the diamond and like <laughs> the, the, the mission was over they, wow, wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't have even tried yeah huh See, this is, this is the benefit of having two people watch it at different times in their lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where, like, you just accepted that. Yeah, it was <laughs> like, I, he was just going to smash the diamond and go, ha, 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 yeah. and then run away. <laughs> I mean, like, the, it wouldn't have, like, made the mission fail. It would have canceled the mission. So, yeah. like, then Reed wouldn't be dead. Yeah, Reed just sort of walks in and is like, ah, oh, hell. I should, I should have known by the klezmer music that it something was up. This isn't even the real Baxter building. You guys were just holding that sign outside of it. <laughs> uh, so we leave that behind, and it's the big day. Uh, the shuttle launches successfully with his Fantastic Four inside, and before long they're in space, manning controls <laughs> and all that stuff, wearing like pretty cheap-looking spacesuits, you know. Uh, they The Colossus comes by, they activate the machine, they zap it. Uh, trying to harness the power, but the instruments start overloading again. The diamond turns red hot, and Reed, Reed realizes at that moment that it must be a fake. And they all get dosed by, like, Colossus energy. You get some, some choir music, some sort of, like, 2001 Space Odyssey on the cheap optical effects, you know, like, I don't know what it is, it's just sort of lava lamp kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. It was like an early semisonic video or something. <laughs> yes. There's a reference for yeah. one person. Your your you know, one of one of your friends who listens to this. Like, yeah. yeah. Hi Mike. Um <laughs> <laughs> So uh Doom is Doom is also monitoring this situation. Uh, we see him do his awkward laugh again. It's even more awkward because we see that he's in like a throne room that appears to be like a matte painting with sort of unconvincingly animated flames on either side. My eye was immediately drawn to that, too. I know. <laughs> it was like, oh, like, man. That's you may not... as well just not. Yeah. Like, I mean, the throne was neat enough looking that, like, that would have been fine. But then there's like, no, throw, throw in some, like, painted in paint or uh, painted in fire or something. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, the space shuttle explodes. And we cut to some place out in the middle of nowhere, um, just sort of a big empty field with a hill and like one tree. Um, it's supposed to be remote, I guess, but um, there's pieces of you know the the ship all over the ground. Ben is staggering around. Um, he's still Ben. Uh, he finds Reed and sort of uncovers him from some debris. And he, Reed is like, "I must be in shock. I don't feel any pain." Johnny shows up and he's like tweaking out and like, oh man, we, we can't believe we came on the rocket ship, man. Um, 
Sorry, I think I th- I think that he's a bit much in this in this motion picture. Uh, and then Rita's like, "We're fine. Like, we just survived a space shuttle. Doesn't that bother? Doesn't that bother anybody?" And I kind of like that as lampshading that like. Like this, like in the the previous special effects shot, like the space shuttle did blow up, like in space. <laughs> so it's good that they sort of mentioned that, like, yeah, they, it seems weird that they were pretty okay, but it also doesn't really make any sense because it's not like they got specific powers that would help them survive a space shuttle explosion and reentry. You know, mm-hmm. like is is being stretchy gonna help you in surviving the? I guess because you you go limp. I was going to say, that's exactly what I was going to say. But Ben's not even Ben yet. He's not even the thing yet. So I don't really see there was an attempt at something here. Um, I will say that I actually liked uh, Reed's parts at that point. Like I I did like the, like, I don't, something's got to be wrong. I don't feel any, or I must be in shock. I must, I don't feel any pain. And then like, just like, I, I don't know why, but maybe his, Maybe he's a really good actor. I guess. And, I think. I think. He, I think he might be. Because then there's also there's also, there's also it, that part where like he sees suit like Sue jumping out a bit like half invisible, and he just really points and is like, "Your legs, Susan." Yeah, I, I just liked his like. We're fine. Like th- that was uh, that was a well delivered moment, I guess. Or maybe maybe it was just too high caliber for this movie. Like <laughs> it was like the best acting of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I I will we'll probably talk about this more as we go on, but like, I actually really like Alex Hyde White in this. You know, I mean, he's I did too. He he plays it a little broad in some points because I think that's sort of what the direction is, is to be a little goofy. But like, yeah, that's sort of like he's he's skeptical. He's not stiff, which I like. In, <laughs> in, in... <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> no, I like I like like some 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 people like make Reed Richards and they make him into like basically you know data from. Star Trek The Next Generation where he's like an emotionless robot but like Reed Richards is like a guy who like you know he's friends with the captain of the football team and he wants to take his friends up in a rocket ship like he's a personable guy you know mm-hmm. so I like uh, yeah I really like Alex Hyde White um, Alex Hyde White if you were listening big fans uh, <laughs> so yeah um, so yeah Reed's a little like confused about what's going on and Johnny sneezes and a brush ignites uh they hear Sue's voice, but don't see her because she's invisible and she gradually fades back into view. Then she sort of starts, you know, startled and falls back and Reed's arm stretches out to catch her. This is where the, this is where the budget starts letting us down. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's hard to like, okay, you can set things on fire. That's something we have the ability to do. I will see a thing soon later that they clearly spent a bunch of money on. Invisibility, like you can, you know, that's a relatively simple optical effect if you have camera equipment, which they may or may not have had professional camera equipment. But like the stretching thing is pretty much just like it's either animated or like a little hydraulic thing coming out, and that does not look good. No, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to do even like with you know in computer generated times now and look good. It's just a, it's a weird comic booky thing that like was never meant to be seen in live action, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that actually did make me think about like when they do finally make a new fantastic four movie in the MCU or, or even like Miss Marvel when they do that, 
But yeah, Rita's Rita's always going to be a difficult mm-hmm. proposition. It's not helped by the fact that they were clearly just like, can we make an extendo arm, and we'll use it like three times in the movie. Uh, so yeah, they are aware of having powers. Uh, they also around a campfire that Johnny has started, and wait for someone to come rescue them. But because they dropped off telemetry and reentry, and they are apparently in the middle of nowhere. Uh, nobody knows where they are, except for Doctor Doom, who sees that they've survived, and so he's understandably pissed. Uh, next, we see a news uh, expository newspaper telling us that the Richards party is missing, presumed dead. Cut to Alicia's studio. Um, she is still sculpting Ben's face after, you know, days, weeks, um, and does this thing where she sort of like brushes the bust's lips with her fingers and then rubs them on her lips and like. It's clay. That seems gross to me. That's just my thing. <laughs> just then there's a knock at the door and it's a delivery boy. He has the head casts that the uh, Fantastic Four used for the helmet fittings. Um, I don't believe that those helmets were actually fitted well enough to re- require face uh, facial casts, but that's okay. Um, it turns out that Alicia has been commissioned to make a memorial statue of the Richards party. And she's supposed to use the casts to capture their likenesses. Uh, Cut to the jeweler's underground lair. He's surrounded by, you know, henchmen, the homeless. Like, I wouldn't say Morlocks if this was X-Men. The jeweler enters and makes a big speech about how they're going to capture them a queen. And they jump around yelling, you know, a queen, a queen. Uh, Incidentally, um, Liam started watching this movie with me. Uh, for you out there in Radio Land, Liam is my uh, 10-year-old son. Um, this is the point where he tapped out. <laughs> this was... I I told him, like, you know, I'm going to watch this movie. It's, you know, it's kind of old. It was cheap. You know, you may or may not like it. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And it was, like, this point where he's like, I think I'm going to go do literally anything else <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so if you're wondering, like, oh, I wonder what a, you know... I think there's sort of a children's movie vibe to this this version of Fantastic Four. If you're wondering what an actual 10-year-old kid uh, thinks, it wasn't very much, but, you know, he's spoiled by all our newfangled MCU <laughs> superhero movies. I'm sure in 1994 he would have loved this. Back at Alicia's, she's feeling the head casts and realized that one of them is the same face as the bust that she's already working on. She pieces together that obviously the man that she loves, question mark, Died in the rocket crash, and just as she's freaking out, the jeweler's subjects raid her apartment. After a confrontation, they use some sleepy spray on her to knock her out, and they carry her away. Uh, this terrifying home invasion is sort of portrayed as a as a comic moment. There's sort of wacky music with organ accompanying the homeless, ar- homeless army sequences. It seems to be like a lot of groping. Yeah, I noticed that too. It was like... But they didn't actually grope her they just sort of like move their hands around as yeah. though they were going to because I don't think I think they realize that like oh that would be really creepy in our like PG or whatever would be rated movie for like them to be like really groping this woman so they'll just threaten to and that'll be fine it was 1994 so just, so just move back two feet and grope the air that yeah, would be much just, better yeah just sort of threaten so meanwhile back wherever the hell the Fantastic Four are a bunch of trucks arrive, full of presumably military guys. So, like, hooray, they're saved. Um, the armed guys run out to meet them, 
but immediately they see something off camera and raise their guns. The FF look behind them and see for the first time that Ben has transformed into the thing. Uh, he doesn't realize it yet because um, I guess he'd change in his sleep or something, but somebody has to point it out to him and then he sees his hands and he goes, Reed, what have you done? Uh, we should talk about the thing suit. It's like a rubber or latex or whatever they use suit uh, with motors, I guess, working the facial expressions. Kind of like the 1990 Ninja Turtles. I assume it's a similar technology. It's, I think that, I mean, this is clearly where I think a lot of the money in the movie went to. I was surprised at how much I thought it looked okay. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think around the eyes, it looks just like you just cut holes in this thing. But generally, like, it's a pretty solid you know, movie special effects, especially on, you know, a million dollar budget. Yeah. You know, that was one, that was one thing that people had brought up a lot, like during the remakes of Fantastic, or I guess the original Fantastic Fours, whatever you'd call them Mm -hmm. with um, Michael Chiklis. I, everyone's like, Oh, that thing suit looks really dumb. And I kind of thought it looked okay. Maybe I'm just like, not, super critical of the thing but no i think i think it looks i think it looks good especially because like it's helpful for because ben is such like an earthy like down-to-earth character i think it helps to have like a guy there on stage you know just sort of like existing in that space mm-hmm. so i i am all for practical effects ben Grimm. yeah uh next we're treated to like a series of comedy sketches <laughs> Um, at a medical facility where a doctor taking tests starts off sort of obsequiously friendly about like, oh, we're just going to get through this together, um, but gradually freaks out at the Fantastic Four's powers. So he investigates, you know, checks Ben out. Doctor tells him to take a seat and he breaks the chair. Womp womp. Uh, Johnny is tweaking out. Uh, and again, this is like Jay Underwood is, you know, God bless him. He's doing a thing and he's Johnny Storm is. Uh, very energetic and so he's just like at maximum 100% all the time of like I'd be making fires out of nothing <laughs> uh, he tries to figure out how to control his flame and he sets his hand on fire by saying flame on and extinguishes it by saying flame off um, so I guess instead of just being like a dumb catchphrase that he has it's like voice activated now <laughs> uh, Sue the doctor is like well you don't smash anything or burst into flame do you uh, she says no but turns invisible for I mean, no reason. Uh, when she reappears, she's behind him and sort of startles him. And then, like, he stabs himself with a hypodermic needle. I can see how, like, when you're writing when you're, when you're writing the script, right? That you're like, oh, it'd be funny if, like, she startled him and he, you know, sort of stumbled and, like, stabbed himself with a needle. But, like, that's sort of hard to think about, like, as an actor. How do you block that out? Like, how would you realistically do that? Because he pretty much just, like, takes the needle and, like, oh, turns it around. Stab yeah. in the chest. So that could use more blocking. And then with Reed, the doctor's pretty much had it. He's nervous and he's going, you know, keeping his distance and says, you know, well, you can take your own blood, which is possibly a medical faux, uh, faux pas, but possibly a hint as to uh, this doctor might not be on the up and up. Um, but anyway, he's like, take, you know, take your own blood. And Reed's like, you got it. And stretches his arm to grab the needle. And the doctor's fully freaked out and seen. So almost exactly at the film's uh, halfway point, we've established the Fantastic Four's origin 
and powers. And now I think I'll kick it over to you. All right. So now we're back at Doom's Castle, which I guess is where the Fantastic Four is being held, but you don't really know that at this point still. Yeah. Um, but the Doctor, it, it kind of took me back for a second because I didn't really know that. But then the Doctor is there talking to Doom. So now the Doctor is explaining that the Colossus now lives within the bodies of the Fantastic Four. Uh, while the Doctor says that a ton of that ton of energy could be harvested from the crew, uh, Doom has other plans and wants to become the lone vessel for all of those powers. But he needs the diamond that the jeweler stole earlier in the movie. While he's doing like while Doom is talking to him, he's sort of pawing at the guy's face. Did you? Did, yeah. Did yeah. Strike he was odd. So like, there's a lot of hand acting going on in this movie because you know Joseph Culp is wearing a mask and he wants to express himself and without a fa- uh, visible face he can does a lot of like theatrical gestures and clicking his fingers and stuff and it sort of looks like he's supposed to be like uh threatening the guy like i could crush your head or something but really it just sort of looks like he's like when you're at the doctor and they check your uh, your adenoids you know for for whatever like mm-hmm. is it because like the guy got like stabbed with a needle and he's like oh i just want to make sure you don't your pupils are aren't dilated or whatever, but yeah, just a lot of like pawing at his face with the plastic metal gauntlets. <laughs> so then Doom's cronies go to pay the jeweler a visit and they end up being surrounded by his homeless army instead. Um, the Fantastic Four are still confined to a room, uh, just playing cards, I guess. And Johnny's getting antsy and waiting of the waiting around and likens them to being more like prisoners than patients. Ben is telling the group that they should stay put so that they can run more tests on them and see how to cure them. I guess that's just because he's the only one that, you know, is physically like changed all the time. So he, he's kind of the one that's saying like, Hey guys, I I really need this. So let's just stay here. Understandably. But then the other three do convince him to try and have an escape plan. Uh, Doom's guys tell the jeweler that they'll buy the diamond, or if they have to, they'll take it from him, you know, unwillingly. Uh, He is unwilling, and it's because he's promised that diamond to his queen, which is Alicia. Uh, They report back to Doom, who says that they'll deal, he, he will deal with the matter personally. Back at the hospital, which is, I think at this point, it's established that it's Doom's Castle, I think. Ben disposes of the guards in order to steal their hazmat suits for Reed, Sue, and Johnny. Um, and then he plays fake poker with them. And he, it's funny because, like, he does the poker thing. And then, like, later on when they show him again, he's still, like, <laughs> keeping up the shtick, even though they're knocked out. He's, in, he's invested in the game. I like, yeah, the, he, I like the effect that when he beats them up. I guess maybe to save on either to make it less violent or to save on fight choreography, they just sort of like spin the picture around (laughs) (laughs) and then they're knocked out. So anyways, uh, Sue sneaks in to a control room invisibly and takes out the guard there. Uh, Reed sees a familiar language on the computer screen, but he can't put his finger on it. And then he makes a little printout and takes it with him. 
Johnny hits lots of buttons over and over. <laughs> like, and it's just, it's just kind of like over the top and everything. And eventually he somehow is apparently just a master at control panels and he opens up a sealed door. They hit the fire alarm and that's kind of Ben's cue to bust down the door and meet up with the others, which I kind of thought was funny too, that apparently he could have just busted that door down the entire time. <laughs> yeah. But but I guess the other three weren't going to be invulnerable to gunfire. But still. So they come across a contraption, which they find out later is a laser. Um, and Reed says that it's a, a brilliant design. Doom reveals himself as the Ladvarian tourism ambassador, I <laughs> felt like. And urges them to visit another time with their children. Yeah, he's like, bring the kids! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he offers to show them mercy if they just return to the rooms peacefully, but they decide to fight their way out of the room, and it's now teeming with Doom's guards. Uh, we f- get the first instance of Ben saying it's clobbering time. Sue straight up tricks a guard into shooting his co-worker? Yeah, that was, that's it's pretty hard. It's a little dark. <laughs> um, and she does this again later, but and I, I think when they, like, so the effect was like she turned they take her out of the scene and then like the guard shoots the other guard and then she like reappeared and she kind of looked like she was standing back up so she like ducked down yeah i guess but it seems that sometimes when they show it it seems like she isn't even a tangible object the intangible woman yeah she she just ends up like i mean people like run into each other and it's like well if she was standing there they would have hit her still she's she's agile i guess and then after we see sue trick two guards into shooting each other reed just sticks out his foot and trips like about five (laughs) guys in a row (laughs) yeah um yeah it, it was just kind of it was just funny like it was a weird contrast of going from that to like whoops and then and then the five guys and then like that that last guy really like he was he was the worst of them because he should have just seen like the four others go down ahead of him well he's 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 the, he's the equivalent of the stormtrooper who bonks his head on the, on the door of the death star uh speaking of which the music in this section is like it's it's the tie fighter music right from from the original star wars the like bump 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 yeah, I guess so. There's, a, there's, a, there. I mean, like, it's, it's clear that like Star Wars was like a big influence on, the, you know, on the music for this movie. It's like if you're gonna, if you're gonna steal, steal from the best, and John Williams stole a bunch of stuff too. So, hmm. So after they beat up all the guards, they bust out of the lab, and Doom comes back into the room, just like <laughs> just strolls back in. And he's just like, okay, well, let's see their dead bodies now. And he's like, oh. (laughs) Yeah. It it was very just like, that didn't go the way I guess it was going to. Yeah. But he's he's nonplussed. Yeah. It's not like you fools have, you know, ruined my plan. It's like, well. That's inconvenient. (laughs) That's a lot of hazard pay. Yeah. It seems like I put a lot of energy into engineering the scenario where they would be captured by me. And no, they're not. But that's fine. That's fine. So then we get back to the Baxter building, and I immediately thought, how did they get back to New York? <laughs> if they were in, they never say Latveria in the movie, but like, 
that's where they are i assume yeah it's the it's <laughs> the it's, it's the dark knight uh, rises problem you know that's funny you say that i actually thought that same thing but like <laughs> i was willing to look past it because they just were like just get them back to new york i guess like they're fine they figured out a way read smart he can, so he can do metric is... conversions in his head <laughs> yeah you saw that see that's, that's established so Reed's running tests on the crew, and Sue comes in to talk to Reed and inadvertently makes Reed realize that their powers are actually based on specific traits that they had before the accident, like stretching himself thin, Johnny having a fiery temper, shoes, Sue, Sue's shyness. He saw his uh, shoulder down by the seashore. <laughs> I, 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 I knew that was going to trip me up. And Ben's brute strength. So he says that their worst character defects are actually their greatest strength. Johnny Storm replies, holy, holy Freud, Batman. Ben leaves in anger after Sue points out that he is the only one that can't change back to his normal state while all of the other crew members um, can kind of turn their powers on and off temporarily. Can I, can I ask you, so they, they do the, the, psycho you know analysis bit or whatever and like you can take that or, or not take that does johnny have a fiery temper like he's he's always like worked up and sort of like percolating but like i would i wouldn't say that i ever saw him like it's probably it probably temper is not the right word but just like he's got like a he, he's, he's like a he's, fiery temperament maybe yeah, but yeah like he's, he doesn't he's not hot-headed or whatever right he's more just like rambunctious yeah, he should be he should be a speedball. <sighs> um, so Ben is wandering the streets and scares just pedestrians walking down the sidewalk and a dishwasher after he's trying to just kind of hide out in an alleyway. Sue has apparently had enough time between these two scenes to <laughs> design uniforms for everyone. Like the th- the thing that I was just wondering is like why, <laughs> like why did they, why. Why make a spandex suit with a four on it? It's like, yes, I know you're the Fantastic Four, but still, it just doesn't. Like, at least in the movies from like the early two thousands, they explain like, you know, Reed's suit or the the suit like attaches to their molecules so that they can use yeah. their powers in them. I mean, that's the, yeah, that, that that's supposed to be what what is going on there. But yeah, yeah the it's, only th- it's just I I thought we'd look good in the. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just like, that's just their new pajamas, I guess. Right. Um, but they do, like, say, like, well, Johnny's a flame retardant, so. But yeah, they're not really, I guess, like, they're not really planning to be superheroes at this point. Or yeah, I mean, at this point, they're just seeing what's wrong with them, and she's just like, oh, well, I'll make us all cute outfits, and we'll, we'll <laughs> so match. Could, it's, like, it's like when you have, like, the, the, summer, the shirt from the summer camp, you know, like, <laughs> always remember getting kidnapped by Dr. Doom, and. <laughs> almost dying in a rocket crash. So Ben runs into the homeless jeweler army and they <laughs> just that combination of words was so funny. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not really one that I thought I'd ever string together. Um, and they offer him a place to rest and where he belongs. For some reason, the one thing I was really focusing on was one guy in the background coughing a lot. And I was kind of wondering if that wasn't even supposed to be a thing. <laughs> if that was just like on set, it was captured on set. 
Yeah, and like just by like the boom mic or something. Yeah, and it's just like, oh, we can't take this again. But like, it's fine. They're they're homeless, right? They have. Yeah, they they cough, right? They're, they're, I, think I, I think I saw a homeless guy cough once. Yeah, they don't. They're not getting proper access to medical treatment down in the sewer. So. <laughs> so the Fantastic Four end up uh, wondering how someone recreated the experiment to harness the power of Colossus when only Reed and Victor knew. So Reed goes back to the printout that he took from the castle and checks it against files that he has in a lone filing cabinet with not very many files in it. <laughs> He's, he, um, he runs a mostly paperless office. It's Yeah, he was ahead of his time. <laughs> um, and he checks, he checks the printout that he took against the files he had with Victor's handwriting and he comes to the realization that Victor is actually still alive. So like in the comics, obviously he's Victor Von Doom. And so if you met somebody named Dr. Doom who talks just like your college frenemy, you would think you would put that together. But like, was his name not Victor Von Doom? I, I don't know. So, I mean, and which begs the question of like, did he just think that Dr. Doom was a cool thing to call yourself? (laughs) It is. it is clearly, but yeah, I mean, it, I guess this is a movie where they they even say like, "How did this happen?" Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's another. That's just another thing. They just it's, don't bring it up. Yeah, they just go. This seems suspicious. Moving on. <laughs> so then we go to Doom, and he's infiltrating the jeweler's lair and takes out the henchmen um, there. After Doom shoots dudes with a luger, I guess that's <laughs> just a weapon he has. Uh, the jeweler threatens to kill Alicia for some reason. I don't know why he thinks that Doom cares. Yeah, it's like I went through. You went through all this trouble to abduct your queen. You bought, you got yeah, the beautiful you, diamond for her. It's it's for her. Immediately willing to sacrifice her. <laughs> like when the going gets tough. Like she see that's the thing. That's what he could have given her. Like not a, a diamond that he can't see, but just like yeah, exactly. He just wants you. Just want somebody to you know, be safe with, I think he is not the guy. I think, I think, I think that he was like, you know, this relationship is not working out. seemed a lot better on paper. Um, but I'm going to keep this diamond. Cause like, I'm <laughs> because my name is the jeweler, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is that, that my MO? Th- is that, is that my MO? That was the other thing too, is why, why is he called the jeweler? Just because he, because he had one. Cause he, <laughs> he, he's able to make perfect replica cubic zirconia of, Ugly diamonds, ugly <laughs> fake looking diamonds. That's his. That's his niche. That's his, that's his niche. So and he lives in the sewer. Ben... Why does that have to? Do with, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm uh, hung up on the jeweler now. <laughs> so since Ben's been staying there for a couple minutes, I guess he comes to the rescue, and Alicia's amazed to find out that he's still alive and came to save her. Yeah, I mean, the only, and they make it a point that Dr. Doom goes, Benjamin Grimm, like, you know, he doesn't call him Ben Grimm the entire time, but he had to say the full name so that the blind lady could have a reason to be like, oh, I understand what this is now. Because he sounds completely different, too. Right. Uh, we got another, it's clobbering time here. Then Doom ends up taking her captive. <laughs> People just are just uncontrollably compelled to take Alicia hostage. I mean, th- this is kind of the point where I was like, what was the point of the jeweler at all? Like, Yeah, I mean, because he steals the diamond, but I guess... 
so he he just this, this is the point where he takes control of it and it's like well like if dr doom would have had a fake diamond to do and his cronies could have busted in it would have been the exact same results yeah in like the two-hour movie where that's the mole man i'm sure this comes off better so as doom's threatening to kill her she blurts out that she loves ben which turns him back into human ben (laughs) which man that was a roller coaster of a week for her she like fell in love with a guy right he he died in a a spaceship accident (laughs) and now he's back and she just like well i'm not gonna miss my chance again she got kidnapped who knows what next week is gonna bring (laughs) i mean she's also just got emotions are running high i'm sure afterwards she's like oh so uh didn't want to whoops freak you out there or anything just thought you're neat like feeling your face yeah, I mean, all. Uh, it's weird that she has any feelings at all. Besides, hey, that's the asshole who kind of broke my statue. <laughs> this isn't hard. This isn't easy to make for me. Like, <laughs> I'm very good at what I do. Like, yeah, he's sorry, you know. but well, he, all the only thing he's done to earn her love is bump into her. <laughs> um, this is also the point where I started laughing at Doom's voice because <laughs> it reminded me. Of Dark Helmet from yeah. Spaceballs. It, it was just, it, it sounded like he was channeling a lot of Rick Moranis <laughs> for some of these parts. Well, I guess, first of all, I mean, the unfortunate thing is that, like, I feel like he's the actor is on set speaking through the mask and they're not, they're just like recording it right from the mask. Like, no matter how, no matter how obstructed it is, they're not, they're not going to take a second shot where he's. Where he's, you know, they're not going to put him in a studio and have a voiceover. They're just going to let it go. And, like, is Rick Moranis doing kind of an accent when he's Dark Helmet? Because, like, they both have the kind of rounded vowels. I, I think that was supposed to, I don't even know if that's an accent. That just might be an inflection. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, the Doom voice is... It is Dark Helmet. So since Ben is now in human form, he immediately also bails and runs into the night and screams at the heavens. And it was kind of like a werewolfy sort of thing where, you know, if, instead of screaming, it would be like howling. And then the moon turns back into the thing like immediately. So then wouldn't he just go back in there and be like, OK, well, I'm this thing again now. So. Now I, I I can actually like do something about this, like how did how did Doom get out of there? Like did they walk out the same door? <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna overlook this this easy way out. So as Reed, Sue, and Johnny are sitting back at the Baxter Building, um, Dark Helmet <laughs> takes over the Baxter Building's TV and tells the Terrific Three now that the laser he was working on is finished. And that they have 12 hours to surrender themselves to him or else he'll obliterate New York City with the said laser. Um, he mentions that he has the diamond and a friend of Ben's, which they have absolutely no idea who he's talking about, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Rita's like, he's not talking about that chick that he, that he bumped into, right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> like, that is, that is, I, I do not see that working out. Yeah. It, it just seems weird to like, I mean, it's not like, oh yeah, the, the you know a mutual friend of all four of them is like taken. It's like, yeah, remember that 
girl earlier that Ben bumped into. Yeah, that, that, this is this is the hostage. But it's okay because she's in love with him, and he's like, they don't know interested. That. Um, <laughs> then they he demonstrates the laser's capabilities by blowing up what looked like an ant farm to me. I don't know what he blew up. Yeah, that's uh, I don't know if that's like the low quality of like the bootleg or whatever, but I was. Not really sure what's going on in that scene anyway. So they're obviously terrified by this ant <laughs> this exterminating <ant> laser. He'll <laughs> kill all the ants in New York City. Yeah. It's actually, this is one big Orkin ad. <laughs> so we get the band back together and Sue reveals that she loves Reed and he feels the same way. They didn't really try to explain this at all, did they? They just kind of... Like, he, he just all of a sudden is, I mean, like, yeah, you see that he was, like, impressed by looking at her, but, like, that's pretty much the only kind of feeling he ever had towards her, and now they just both fall in love. I guess people in this movie fall in love very easily. Yeah, it's that kind of world. Uh, I mean, I didn't even know, yeah, I mean, part of it is, like, not knowing what their relationship is, but, like, when they get to this scene, it's like, I didn't know that they did not have a relationship, you know, or they hadn't spoken about how they feel like to each other. Cause like we hadn't seen any scene other than Sue going, Oh, I just get nervous around you. But mm-hmm. you don't have to get nervous around this guy. First of all. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, no offense, Alex Hyde white, you're a handsome man, but yeah, I just, I, I didn't know that there was a romantic subplot going on. I just thought like, Oh, they know each other. They're so anyways, you can move about, you can move past all of that because we get a shot of the fantastic car, which I guess they have like cool, but like, like it's just something that they, they just like have. And it's never even like mentioned like, Oh yeah, by the way, guys, I made this cool ride while Sue was making outfits for us. Yeah. We, we had a busy morning. They fly the fantastic car to doom's castle, which looks like it's located in actual hell. It didn't, look like any other place actually on earth so doom traps the four in the force field and attempts to drain their powers and he promises to kill alicia in front of ben um after they've been drained of their powers i guess as the power is being sucked out of them reed literally nudges over the device and it stops working yeah so (laughs) One, one thing se- I- <laughs> okay, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say it. It seems like if if your like high tech machinery can be foiled by a nudge, I mean, Ben is by far the most dangerous thing to that force field because he's excellent at nudging, <laughs> which has been established. But re- but also like, shouldn't the force field be like? containing too like if they can just reach out and like well the idea is i think the the idea is that like his foot sort of like stretches out like it's like finds like a crack under the force field and sort of i'm I'm doing a hand gesture but you can't see it because this is a podcast Uh, (laughs) like his his foot kind of like stretches out like it finds like a little gap under there or something and goes yeah it's i mean it's not it's a it's not a great way out of this um one thing that i think is really weird about it is that during this scene, like they don't have, it's like they all got different acting directions for how to treat this moment. Cause it's like, Johnny looks like he's like in a, in a bit of in a, like some pain. Sue is just screaming her head off. 
Reed has Reed has nothing going on. Reed is just like, what is everyone, what is she yelling about? Like, is this is this like a painful tractor beam or what? Or force field or whatever. Yeah, whatever it's supposed to be. Whatever 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 it is, it is much worse on Sue. So the important thing though to remember is that we got another clobbering time here. Is that is that three? I think that's three. I think this is the last one too. Three, three clobbering times. Um, yeah, and this this is the part where I kind of mentioned it earlier, but Sue seems to like not even exist if she turns invisible. Two guards just run right into each other. Yeah, that's her. That's her finishing move. <laughs> uh, so Ben's really the one who wrecks shop here and doesn't really like nobody else is really doing too much besides him. Um, Doom starts the initiation sequence on the laser and it actually fires off and the robot voice that's counting down counts down every single number from like 30 and I you know when they do that kind of a plot point in a movie you kind of think they're going to stop it at one and then it actually like fired and I was kind of surprised that it was 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 like oh they failed (laughs) so Johnny flames on and takes off after the laser they see him do that, but like nobody seems shocked that he can just turn completely into flame and fly now. Least of all him. Reed just kind of like looks and goes, "Ah, okay, cool. <laughs> Good thing I can fly because otherwise we'd be really screwed at this point in the <laughs> screwed at this point in the movie." <laughs> um, during this, Ben is going to rescue Alicia from whatever room she's being held in. Yeah. You know, you say that like nobody else is doing stuff, but like Reed is using his powers of extremely slow fists to <laughs> knock out several guards at once who just sort of like sit there they just sit there and sort of just wait for it like oh well, man, just, man man you seeing this <laughs> they just kind of show the bendy arm kind yeah. of just like hit like three guys at once at this point doom runs into a room and reed follows literally two seconds later through the same door so like they i wonder if like the whole time they were like yelling at each other like hey stop if if, like, if if only Reed Richards was able to like reach <laughs> things that ordinary people are unable to reach. <laughs> Put it out there. So we find out here that Doctor Doom has retractable cat claws, pretty and sweet. they yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, they come out of his glove, and he takes only one swipe at Reed. So then Reed beats on Doom for a little bit and knocks him over the ledge of the castle. And he's dangling on the edge, I guess. So he pleads with Reed that they were friends and that he should spare his life. But as soon as Reed tries to, he kind of dips and detaches his hand and falls to his apparent doom. Which. Oh, doom. Yeah. Yeah, see. I know how to work things in. Right. No, it just seemed weird that he's like, hey, save me. Like, we were friends. And then. As soon as he starts, he's like, fuck off. Like, I, like I, I, I think what happened is that the actual costume had a malfunction and they just said it. <laughs> they rolled with it and like, write it in, write it in. Yeah. He falls. But he, he he's laughing the whole way down. So, do, do, you know, Doom gets in your head, man. <laughs> so. Always laughing, you know, always just like falling to his death, crying, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> That's what he does best. <laughs> That's what he does best. That's what, his P- that's what his PhD is in. <laughs> so 
uh, Sue ends up catching up with Reed and tells them it's time to go home. And Reed leaves the glove on the ledge and it starts moving on its own, kind of indicating that Victor is still alive, I guess. It's funny that they're like, oh yeah, it's time to go home, but like Johnny's still going after this laser. <laughs> like, I for, like I forgot everything about is not well yet. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they, yeah. So they, they, jo- they forgot about like, oh, right. Your brother. Oh, it's like, oh shit. Yeah. That's I, right. I, the city. I, I hope, I hope he doesn't cause they, they're talking about going home. It's like, oh, right. Home is where the laser is headed to right now. <laughs> we may not have home to go to. Hopefully Let's see how this shakes out there. He, he just means like your mom's boarding home. <laughs> so we actually see Johnny chasing the, the laser and gets he gets ahead of it right before it's about to impact the city. Um, he pushes the laser back and makes it explode in space. Uh, what's funny to me is that Jurassic Park came out a year before this, and I know that they had like a million dollar budget only. I mean, they had the but Jurassic Park. First of all, on Jurassic Park, they don't use as much computer generated imagery as you think. I guess I just I guess I just had unrealistic expectations I, for a nineteen ninety four Fantastic Four movie. I think you did. Um, I would like to point out that. This is the clam, sort of the climax of the movie, and like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm not sure what his plan was to block the thing with his body, but did he know that that would work? Because his fire doesn't really stop lasers, lasers, and then like he outraces the laser, like the la- a laser beam is presumably going at light speed, <laughs> which, <laughs> as this movie helpfully informed us earlier, is 186. <laughs> thousand two hundred eighty two miles per second so either that's a slow laser or johnny's going at light speed but we'll let it pass because uh there was were those were those lightsaber effects like the sound effects is like when he was getting hit it sounded like yeah it, it kind of sounded like that so i hope hope ben burt got a, a little bit of scratch. fat check <laughs> a fat check for that <laughs> 12 cents so then I guess everything's okay. So we cut to wedding day and it's for Sue and Reed because, you know, we've established that they have this love story that was that everybody was just waiting for this moment to happen. Yeah. I really wanted to see those, those two kids get together. So Ben, Ben says that he and Johnny aren't going to get into any trouble while they're on their honeymoon. And the funny thing too, is that they're all wearing their, fantastic forest suits except for sue who's wearing a wedding dress <laughs> that actually is a uh, comics accurate i know but it, but it is funny to see like well especially thing in like his yeah. his uh fantastic four speedo speedo and like because they're not like particularly nice looking costumes <laughs> it just seems like reed is like i don't want i don't i don't feel like changing so reed and sue get into a limo and our final shot is Reed's like extended arm waving outside of the limo, like out of the sunroof. Um, this is the part that I like really laughed. At. It just looked it looked really really bad and like something out of like Mac and Me or something. Yeah, I mean it was it's sort of a glazing. Yeah, just just this like they they had like a string about like a fishing line attached to the arm above the car and we're just kind of like waving it back and forth but you know what it's it's an image that you will never forget <laughs> you will go to your grave thinking about <laughs> you're gonna wave goodbye and go like <laughs> just this noodle arm <laughs> remember that from the fantastic four movie 
Well, anyways, this is where we end the movie. <laughs> uh, so I would like to I would like to cite that you sent me a textual message yesterday at six fifty six p.m., which I think is uh, the quote that they would go f- the pull quote that they would put on the movie poster of this. I don't hate this. <laughs> end of end of, end of, of uh, review. But so I guess my, my my question is is this so is this the best Fantastic Four movie that exists to date? Because uh, you know that that is sort of like a that's going around the internet. You know, like oh, actually, like the maybe you know this is cheap. Like maybe it's a actually secretly a good movie or at least the best Fantastic Four movie that they made out of a bad lot. What are your what are your thoughts? Um, I don't. I guess not. Like I, not that I'm praising the early two thousands ones, but like the characters were a little bit more fleshed out. I mean, and they weren't fleshed out very well in those movies either. But <laughs> right. but also, it, I it might have like a weird bias that they actually had Chris Evans being Johnny Storm, and I kind of liked his. Johnny Storm, all things considered. Yeah. The thing that's been funny about all versions of these movies is that Doctor Doom is always the just not done well at all. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame because I feel like that's half of the reason that people want to do a Fantastic Four movie at any, any, any given time is to do Doctor Doom. I actually have only... So I saw the 2004, 2005 one uh, one time. I didn't see the other two. But like in the first movie, uh, it's, was it Julian McMahon? Uh, Julian McMahon. I was thinking Julian Fellows, Julian Glover, neither <laughs> of those guys. Um, Julian McMahon is like sort of like it's sort of toned down Doctor Doom. You know, it's like he's got some powers mm-hmm. and he's that, uh, and then like it's whatever the hell is going on in the in Fan Forstick. But uh, here, like they do go for like the full Doctor Doom. Like he is. A com, you know, it's it's a cheap outfit, but it's like comics accurate Doctor Doom. It's an interesting, mm-hmm. interesting contrast. Um, it doesn't really work. If you're making a movie, you probably do want to change the costume a little bit. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I don't I don't hate this either. You know, I, yeah, it, it's it's fine for what it is. And yeah, for, especially when you look at the time it was made. Right, the time the time was made, and like the money that they had, it's like if this was like a TV show, like a, like a children's TV show in nineteen ninety four, you'd be like, yeah, that was pretty, that was pretty good. And I think that this this movie sort of did seem like, and like the the two thousand four or five one did too, like it seemed like a pilot for a TV show rather than like the Fantastic Four epic movie that you actually want to see. Hmm. Well, the interesting comparison I'll make. I mean, like I think it's interesting. <laughs> Is that that 2004 version kind of seemed to follow the same pacing almost, mm. where where like it seems like stuff happened kind of the same time, but then like the ending was just like I mean the ending to this movie just kind of happened. Yeah, like all of a sudden they're just at Doom's castle and then the fight's like a couple minutes long, and that's the end. And that's kind of what the 2004 movie did too. Was it was just like okay. Doctor Doom's here, and now we're gonna fight him for a couple minutes, and then it's gonna be a happy ending. You know, I I am of of the opinion that like if you when they do make the new Fantastic Four movie, whenever they do, 
they should exercise restraint and not put Doctor Doom in the first movie. I think because like in all cases we've seen that like they just sort of you have to rush it right because you're doing the Fantastic Four's origin and you're getting that all set up and then it's like well I also want to do Doctor Doom and then like you've blown your Doctor Doom load. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was gross. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, America. <sighs> parts of europe <laughs> um yeah but like you know I, I just i just i just think that like you should so like if you know in my head my ideal world or whatever like you do fantastic you know you do the cold open like in this movie because that is a good cold open i still think you do like a you know they get their powers they do like mole man or annihilus or whatever and then like the second movie you can spend that whole time on dr doom yeah i just hope that when they do do that in like the MCU, which I mean, they they're going to right. They, so when they do, they just have like they figure out a cool voice for the for Doctor Doom. Yeah, well, I mean this. Because, I mean this was just like he's saying it's like they're just recording from what's coming out of his mask and it's muffled and and it actually was hard to understand at some point. Yeah, yeah, and then but then you go to the other movies and like Julian McMahon just you're just like. Oh, I'm listening to the guy from Nip Tuck right now talking, and that's Doctor Doom, I guess. They they didn't really seem to do anything, and I I can't speak to Josh Trank's version. I haven't seen that either. Yeah, but from what I've heard and seen clips of, it's just that's that's one even I'm not gonna suggest we touch <laughs> because I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's things that like I feel like that movie might make me like because like you know Batman v Superman like I was like upset right. Mm. and like maybe fan four stick would make me upset like this doesn't make you upset it's like it's hard to hate this movie you know mm-hmm. it's like it's you know it's a little underwritten and it's really it has cheap. charm yeah but it's it's charming and it's like the worst you could say is that like oh they didn't you just can't make a fantastic four movie for a million dollars that's just that i almost think that like it seems counterintuitive given the budget but like maybe it's not ambitious enough like if you watch like an old op- episode of Doctor Who, like it's all like rubber, you know, rubber monsters and stuff. But like they're like, okay, well, like they're they're really going for it, you know. Like Doctor Who would have done the Mole Man and having monsters, and it would have been forced perspective and a rubber suit or whatever. But like you would have been like, okay, they really they really went for it. I feel that I guess I'm saying that the weak link of this movie is the jeweler. <laughs> 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 if it had been the Mole Man and he had a rubber monster, I would be like, well. You swung for the fences, and that's that's admirable. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that the the plot is sort of like similar to like the structure of uh, the the later movie. Um, I do think that the plot is sort of tight for what it's doing. It gets a lot done in ninety minutes. I mean, it's, it's this is not a two hour movie. This is a you know ninety minutes with a long intro and a long ending credit sequence. There's a couple of things that get dropped though. Like we sort of like we were talking about like neither love story is developed. It was not even clear that Reed and Sue are a love story. Mm-hmm. It's possibly someone I haven't seen in ten years or maybe less. And you were a child, and <laughs> and then it's just like this blind person felt this felt this guy's face one time. So and it's it's not really clear. And the other thing that sort of gets dropped is that like, why do those guys? abduct Victor and take him back to Latveria 
Yeah, I I mean I think they mentioned that he's like royalty, don't he's, they? He's royalty, but like why would they Maybe they were just like maybe they've been there like all his life, like kind of watching over him or something and they were just waiting for the opportunity for him to get zapped in the face by a cosmic lightning. I mean they they were just like watching over I don't know. Like, also maybe maybe this movie's just not incredible. So <laughs> maybe so. You know, uh I will say that like I mean, a Fantastic Four movie is hard to do. Like, they haven't done it a really great job yet. Even in the comics, like, I, so you know that I'm a big, a big Fantastic Four fan. Uh, my favorite comics run ever is John Byrne's run on Fantastic Four, despite the things that I say about him. Um, but, like, Fantastic Four in the comic book is not always very good. Even in, like, my prime reading days, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's there's, like, a certain kind of, like, magic with like Lee and Kirby and then burn and then like a couple of other teams. And like, otherwise it's just sort of like you, it's like if you watch an Indiana Jones movie that somebody else made, you know, mm-hmm. it's less about like, this is an amazing concept. It's more like, this is where, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby put like all the eggs in their basket. You know, this is the basket. This is the basket. They put the eggs. <laughs> this is the vessel into which they poured a hundred percent of like their, you know, their, their good stuff. And when Byrne was doing it, it was like, let's do all the interesting things that I can think of to do with that. I mean, I love the Fantastic Four, but maybe they're just not like immediately clearly compelling characters if you're not already familiar, like already fond of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess we'll find out when they make a new movie. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap it up with uh, performances that you liked and disliked. Because like we've 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 I think we're both. Now, uh, Alex Hyde White stands. He is he is in one of your favorite movies, you know. Oh, isn't he? He is uh, Henry Jones Senior. He is and... the body of him in some. I don't know if it's like the scene where he like raises up his finger or something. Mm-hmm. I presume that he was like maybe had more to do in that movie at some point. Because it's not. I mean, he's he gets like he's like one of the first credits in the end of the movie is Alex Hyde White. The and, movie we should mention is Indiana Jones and the oh, Crusade, yes, by the way. Yes. Because this, this is just how we talk. It's like <laughs> We just know what we're talking about. Right. But me saying Henry Jones Sr. doesn't actually doesn't tell help people. everybody. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Alex Hyde White is in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in some capacity as young Henry Jones Sr. I don't know if he's like the body in that picture that Marcus looks at or if he's just the finger going in Greek. But, but anyway, so he's, you know, he's got two movies that we can point to as like, you know, love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. This one, I mean, for all, for all you can say, he highlighted or he headlined this movie. Hmm. Well, I gotta say he's in, he's in one of my favorite movies ever. And I'll let you decide if it's Indiana Jones and the Last <laughs> or, Crusade or Fantastic Four. Or the unreleased Fantastic Four movie. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, Which I just saw for the first time yesterday. <laughs> you saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade for the first time yesterday? Hey, oh. <laughs> that, joke, that, that joke didn't work. I'm going to cut that out. Or I'm going to say that I'm going to cut it out. I'm going to leave it in here to try to save it. Um. Yeah, so uh, Joseph Culp, he gives it a lot as Doctor Doom. He's got some technical difficulties. You can't hear what he's saying. 
his fingers are always clacking and it's pretty clear that it's just plastic. Do you think he should have gone smaller? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's almost like an academic question. Like, like oh, that, that's what have, what's, what have, what's, you know, that would have saved the movie and they would have released this and it would have made a hundred million dollars if he didn't go. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I guess everybody acted pretty much as, well as i thought they were going to be i guess i kind of thought the guy who played the thing or i guess not the thing but ben Grimm, he had like a charm about him that was like i liked him you know yeah yeah he didn't he didn't play him as too much of a lunkhead you know which i think mm-hmm. is something that people are tempted to do with ben Grimm. like ben is not actually like a dumb guy he's like you know i mean he went he's in the same science class <laughs> clearly as as reed and victor here yeah, and you know, like he's a he's like a, you know, he's like an Air Force pilot. Like they don't they don't let dumb guys be you know Air Force pilots. Mm-hmm. I mean, also like they show that like you know, even though it's just kind of a just a moment that happens in the movie because it happens. Like when Reed's like need to be consoled about Victor's death, he turns to Ben. You know, and yeah, Ben is actually like there to like he's not like. We don't hug our guys, you know. Right. Just like... I thought um, Jay Underwood is a little, little much as Johnny Storm, but maybe that was the yeah. direction that he was given. Uh, Rebecca Staub, like who didn't have a lot to do in this movie other than being shy one time, and then say, mm-hmm. "I guess I love you. I guess we loved each other this whole time." She makes the suits. <laughs> yeah, she makes the suits. Um, the the suits, you know, that's too bad because like the suits are like comics accurate for the time. So one one thing that I think sort of like this movie does is that like I think it takes a lot of its cues actually from not from like Batman, which would have been the thing at the time, but from the nineteen seventy eight uh Superman the movie. I think that's sort of like the tone that they were going for is you know, it's lighthearted. Some of the villain bits are sort of played for comedy. Um and the suits are totally accurate. It's just that like they spent a lot more money on Superman in nineteen seventy eight than they spent on Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. To do uh, to quote the Tim Burton uh, Batman movie, it's the plastic surgeon in the scene going, "You see what I have to work with here, right?" <laughs> you had a million dollars. You had like no time. You had no marquee actors. You made something that I can watch on a website um, almost thirty years later and be like, "I didn't hate that." Yeah. As my text so aptly put it. No, I think yeah, I think I I will just I'll I'm gonna erase most of this uh, episode and just put in that. I mean that yeah that sum, that about sums it up. The thumbnail. <laughs> so, do you have any more thoughts on uh, tonight's feature? Um, I guess I'll just finish off with I. It's worth a watch, I guess. I mean, it's only an hour and a half, so it's not... I mean, it's like twice the length of this movie would be Batman v Superman again. Right. And, like, that was actually not fun. Yeah. I I, I wanted you to watch that movie, but I kind of... I kind of am a little upset at the price it took. I hope you regret it. I hope you... (laughs) I hope on your deathbed you go, I shouldn't have made Justin watch Batman v Superman, and I should do 
the Mr. Fantastic wave yeah. <laughs> on my way out. <laughs> I, I I want that to be like a gift that we can find somewhere and just send that to each other through text, just <laughs> just at weird times. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that on that note. Uh, if you like the podcast, and um, I said that I didn't last week, but I do again. Uh, <laughs> we watch this. If you like the podcast, subscribe on your podcasting app of choice. Write us a review on Apple Podcasts. All the things that you're supposed to do to signify your allegiance to a podcast, I guess. Um, please do. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at IndefensibleInc and on Facebook. You can email us at IndefensibleInc at gmail.com if there are... Um, if there are movies that you'd like Zach and I to cover, or when Ryan gets back, if there are comic books that you'd like us to cover again. Um, but until such time, I have been Justin Zyduck. And I'm Zach Zyduck. And good night. Mm-hmm.